Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 224. How are you all doing, guys? I hope you're all well and holding up okay in lockdown isolation times. Um, I've got a huge announcement for you. Me and the rest of the Distraction Pieces Network have put together a quiz, a video quiz. And honestly, it's one of the... Um, I couldn't be more excited for you all to see it. It's genuinely amazing. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to air it as a YouTube premiere so you could all, all watch along at the same time. It's not going to be a, we all press play at this time as as they do with a lot of things. It's going to air on, on my YouTube ch- channel, this Scroobius Pip YouTube channel, on Monday at 8.30. So that is Monday the 11th of May um, at 8.30. Interestingly, it's Jim Smallman's birthday that day, um, and he's part of the. He's returned to the network for for this quiz. Basically, each of the hosts of podcasts on the network have put together a round, and then I'm hosting it all. And honestly, you're going to be surprised at what you get. I genuinely guarantee you're going to be surprised, and you're going to really enjoy it. So it'll be eight thirty on Monday, the eleventh of May, on YouTube. I'll post about it everywhere. As it's a premiere, there'll be a bit of chatting at the beginning, so it'll give you time to send the link round, to get friends on board. You could all all link up on Zoom and do it with your mates, all do the quiz at the same time, because it's it's going to be on live. And we're going to be using the hashtag, hashtag distraction quiz, and you can tweet us, you can tweet along, you can, I want scores at the end, um, I'm going to be watching it live. Probably everyone on the network will be watching it live because they've not seen each other's rounds. Um, honestly, it's going to be amazing. Luke at Bang Boom Creative has been putting it together. And just honestly, we've got some surprises for you. You're going to l- love it. I can't hype it enough. Anyway, on to this week's podcast. On uh, on Thursday of last week, me and, and Dan Lassac did one of the Tim's Twitter listening parties where tim burgess um has arranged he'll 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 have albums on every night they've been so amazing it was so cool to do it was was intense but but we did a listening party for our album repent replenish repeat and i'm sure we're going to end up doing another one at some point maybe for angles and i might do distraction pieces but ahead of that even uh, it's not confirmed i'm going to do distraction pieces but i wanted it gave me the idea to do a kind of behind the music of distraction pieces it's the it's the the album that gave this podcast its name it's was the solo record i released that changed everything the the opening track is one of the biggest songs i've ever had so yeah it's it means the world to me and i released it on my own label i i i I had to listen to this album for the first time in a long time when i had to have it remastered for the the reissue of the vinyl the glow in the dark vinyl that's available at speechdevelopmentrecords.com so that was the first time i'd listened in ages and i don't generally enjoy listening to my own music i have great discomfort but as you'll hear the collaborations is what gave me my kind of good moments of excitement so um yeah so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna sit back i've I've come into my little studio and i've bought my sonos move with me these little portable speakers have done so i'll go through each song at a time and tell any stories that, that come to mind and give a bit of 
behind the scenes. Now, this is weird because now Buddy Peace is going to drop the intro music to the podcast, which happens to be a kind of mixed up version of the first track of the album distraction pieces. So, um, so that's odd, but buddy hit the, hit the intro. Right, here we are. Um, yeah, this is exciting. I decided I didn't want to overplan it because what I really enjoyed about the t- Twitter thing was just the stuff that naturally came to mind. So the album kicks off with a song called Introduction. And I mean, f- first of all, I should say, yeah, or no, it's on the on the su- on the su- the subject of Introduction. I released Introduction. I put the video up and everything on my thirtieth birthday. I did no pre-hype. I did no pre-announcement. I just, on my 30th birthday, the video for Introduction went up. The video we'd shot for £100. I set things on fire. It was really dangerous. I cut my beard off. I shaved my head. Um, And the idea was that, like, we we shot the video on August 1st. And it's this weird one take with a twist. So we shot the video on August 1st. And we wanted it up on August 3rd. Because I didn't want tons of time where... I've got a, sh- a shorter beard or my hair's different and it would give the game away. So it was a mad panic to get it, it turned round. And it started the, 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 the tradition I've had s- since then of releasing something on my birthday each year. But, um, I mean, I mean uh, uh, let's kick things off. I mean, you've just heard this. I saw a dead fish on the pavement and thought, what did you expect? There's no water around here, stupid. Should have stayed where it was wet. Oh, hello, my name is Pip, and I would like to speak some lyrics into this microphone that's amplified so you can hear it. This piece of diction is the intro to distraction pieces. I saw the shit that flies around my head and keeps me sleepless. Such little food for fool, my fucking brain feels anorexic. So many typos when I write, oh, I'll claim I'm dyslexic. I've got... There we go. I'm not going to play all of it. Obviously, that would just be us l- l- listening along to my album. But yeah, this song was a game changer. It's easily the most, like YouTube-wise, the video has had almost f- 4 million v- views. And that's by far the most of any of my s- solo stuff. It's the second most of my whole career, I think. I think Thou Shout is probably on s- 6 or 7 or 8, eight million. But Introduction, yeah. It's crazy, and it was exciting because it was the first video I'd completely kind of directed and produced myself. It was just me, my mate Tom, my mate Aaron, my mate Ollie, and yeah, it was a load of us just kind of just making it work. Yeah, it was mad. We shot it in um, a shipping container on a roundabout in Pitsy, um, and I rented the shipping container for 70 quid. I bought all the things to set on fire inside. I spent 30 quid on that. And I also got some some drinks and sandwiches for people and stuff. And that was the 100 quid. And that 100 quid is the best 100 quid I think I've ever spent. Because, yeah, the, the song went crazy. The opening line, I saw a dead fish on the pavement and thought, what did you expect? That, that happened g- genuinely. I was walking along in Stamford Hope, weirdly, now almost just outside my current house. I still live in Stanford, but I've moved from where I lived then. And I saw a dead fish on the pavement. 
and I, I mean, I don't, I didn't really think. Well, what did you expect? There's no. I, I, that was the the poetic part of it. But yeah, I saw a dead fish, and that's where that lyric kind of came from. And this song's interesting because a lot of this was leftover lyrics. You know, it was stuff that I I always had a notes thing on my phone that was just ideas and lyrics. And loads of these were stuff that didn't make it into anything uh, uh, for me and and Dan. Yeah, and we never f- found the right s- song or the right beat. And they all kind of came together in this. It's why it's a bit all over the place, but it kind of works. And again, it's another one. It's weird that This and Thou Shall Always Kill are the two biggest songs I've been involved in, and neither of them adhere to, to traditional song structures. Like, this hasn't got a chorus there's no chorus in this thou shout hasn't got a chorus it's got the just a band bit but that's not really a chorus that that happens once at a certain point so yeah it's weird and this became a bit of a a stream of consciousness type thing there's not really a a theme it's a load of thoughts (laughs) um obviously the 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 line that kind of grabbed everyone was a use you see a mousetrap i see free cheese and a fucking challenge zane low made this his hottest record in the world on the day it came out on my 30th birthday so my only plans i'm not a big birthday guy my only plans were to go out for dinner at a local pub the bell in horndon on the hill so i was up there and i had to have a phone call from zane um to call me and interview me on on on, on radio one to talk about this song and again he mentioned the the, the free cheese line and and the ex- excitement of the video it was the video that caught a lot of people and grabbed their attention. My, my idea was I've built an audience with the, Dan Lassac. This stuff is going to be a bit different. The reason I wanted to do the solo record was I wanted to do something that had more of my... I grew, I grew up loving punk before anything else. Punk and metal and hardcore and all that kind of thing. And the stuff that me and Dan did... It wasn't in that area because that wasn't his area. His area was, you know, a, a lot of indie stuff, but a lot of electro, a lot of dance, hip hop. So I wanted to do something that had that that punkier edge. So I, yeah, so I did this solo record, and the thought was, how do I get everyone to at least give it a listen? It's going to be a different sound. It's really hard doing solo stuff when you're known as part of a duo or part of a band it's hard to get people's attention because in general they're going to go cool when's the next thing of the two of you together so the video was the idea just the initial thought was i'll shave i'll cut my beard off i'll cut my beard off and people will watch the video because of that because word will get round that scroobius people who's known for having a big beard cuts his beard off in his solo video and it worked, and it's pure chance that this happened to be a song that also caught their attention and they liked and had some lines in it that they'd go, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. So, yeah, that was the whole idea of the video initially, was just cut my beard off, sh- shave my head, and do it as a one-take so there's no there's there's no options. It's why I didn't end up from watching it back c- cutting off as much as I'd intended because I couldn't really see. You'd, I hadn't practised. You can't practise that. It's a one take, so yeah, that was kind of how that 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 all happened. But the the origin of the song, um, I was talking to the or the origin of the whole album was I was talking to Liam Howlett, 
about doing a remix of some stuff of mine and Dan's and Liam was saying, I'm not doing remixes at the moment, but he said, if you ever want an original beat, I'd be interested. And that made me think, all oh, right, I'll, I'll, cause originally I was going to make a solo record with just my mate, a Warren, a Wargie and Yilla who helped engineer angles and maybe logic. I can't remember, but, but yeah, when Liam Howlett is like, I'm up for doing something, it made me think, right, I'll work with a load of different producers. Now in the end, Liam never sent anything through. The Liam stuff came about because he hit me up to write some lyrics for the Prodigy early on. He'd heard my stuff and liked my writing. I wrote some stuff. It didn't fit them at all. I was too ignorant. Yeah, this is real stream of consciousness podcast. Hopefully it's a a one-parter. It might end up being a two-parter at this this rate. We're on the first song. So yeah, Liam hit me up about that. He, he he never ended up making a beat, but it made me want to cast the net wider. And a few at this time, Danny Lonna of Nine Inch Nails, Renholder, tweeted some of my lyrics from Now Shout, I think it was. Um, and Eddie Temple Morris n- notified me of it. And I thought, oh, cool. I'll hit him up um, because he's a producer and a musician and he's in Nine Inch Nails. That's kind of dope. So I DM'd him saying, yo, that was cool that you are aware of my stuff. And he was he was really into my lyrics. So I hit him up about doing a track for this record and he sent me a few things and he's, he's since said that I was br- br- brutal in my feedback. So the first couple of beats he sent me, I was like, no, nah. <laughs> he quotes it. that I said that they were, t- they were too new n- metal. And I want to combine my punk background and my rap background, but I don't want to do a, a new metal album, even though I love I love new metal. Let's not fuck about. So yeah, we went back and forth with a few tracks, and the first few I was thinking this isn't going to click. His as much as I love his work, it's very different from my sound. Um, I don't know if it's going to work. And then he sent me Introduction, and it was it, it had kind of bare drums at the time it was more just the keys bit and then the kicking and then he added these haunting backing vocals that were recorded by uh Mila Jovovich from the Resident Evil films from um a fifth element from from all sorts of stuff I was like oh that sounds cool and then he added drums by Tr- Travis Barker and I was like oh shit like I rate Travis massively so yeah I was excited to 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 work with those people, the Danny from Nine Inch Nails, Mila Jovovich, Travis Barker. This is crazy. But as I was doing this record on on my own label, I'm an amateur on on the label front. So when Introduction dropped the video, the album hadn't got hadn't gone to press yet. And one of the reasons it hadn't gone to press is I couldn't get a response off of Travis and his lawyers about if it's okay to have his drums on the record because they needed to hear it, f- it first right so I've but on you know I've put it on the YouTube on on the video and all that and it's good to go and I'm just thinking right if I don't hear back I'm just going to release it but not put his name on the record and not put it out there that they're it's Travis um but obviously I'm panicking because I'm like well I'd like to have his name on there <laughs> And then a day or two after the video went up, a tr- a tr- a Travis retweeted it 
and posted about it saying, man, this is so amazing to work on. The lyrics are amazing. I'm really picky on the hip hop I work on. Particularly at that point, they'd only collaborated on a few hip hop tracks. And he was like, but this blows me away. I'm so proud to be part of it. So I was like, right, <laughs> go on the on, on the production of the, of the record. We can use the artwork that has his name on it and all this kind of thing. And and that was that, man. It's, it, it, it's why there wasn't a bigger deal made at the time of Travis being the drummer. Um, because I didn't know if I was allowed to tell people. Because, again, low-key, I was putting it out anyway. F- fuck it, man. I could, I'd pretend that someone else drummed on it. I don't know. We would have figured it out. But, yeah, it was dope that Trav was then all over it. And s- since then... I've been in the studio with Travis with most times if I go to LA, I try and catch up with Travis. Um, me, him and Kurt Sutter tend to try and, and grab some food at Trav's uh, a restaurant in LA. Um, so, so yeah, that was kind of the story of that and the superstar cast that that played on that record and, and, and made it all happen. And as I said, it then, it then blew up, man. People embraced it. So this track was really important. For getting people on board uh, with my solo stuff, if this track had had been a dud, then you're probably not going to be able to get them to to check anything else out. So uh, uh, let's move on to track two. Oh man, this was always my favourite to play live. It'd get me fired up proper. I'd be j- jumping up and down at this stage on the spot. When it's cold, we bite the top of our zips, pull it up with our tongue till it covers out. I don't know the lyrics anymore. <laughs> My feet are beating the street into sand like that's like we're Wheaton. Walking these streets with that distant stare. No one likes us, but we don't care. Maybe our kind don't fit round here. Our minds find conflict round here. I'm not giving you the kick in. I'm giving you the build up and then I'm fading it out. Um, Let them come. After introduction, this is probably the most important song on the record because this production wise had no one famous on it. And this was the track that kicked off the record because I'd. I told a Warren Borg, Wargy Beats, that I wanted to work with him on a solo record. I was a fan of Warren's band, I Shouted Gun, um, and since that stopped, he'd gone into more dancey production, and I thought it was a good, a good combination. So um, me and Wargy went for a beer in, near near Victoria Park, and we and we sat down. And Let Em Come was kind of the first track that we talked about. And I I, I said, I want a track that goes... <laughs> Imagine having to deal with me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so what kind of beat do you want? <laughs> but yeah, it was because... Um, and this song's a mad one. I'll get onto the, the guest spots later. But this was all inspired by going to, 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 to Millwall since I was a kid. Um, one of our, the Millwall mottos is let them come. Um, the song that they walk out to is called let them come. Let them come, let them come, let them come. 
Let them all come down to the den. It's a very different let them come. But the thing, the the the, the inspiration of the of the beat there and the tune was hearing lads on on the terraces going yo 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 and everyone just doing that and loads of different voices in unison making it kind of echo and resonate and that is just as football fans do and that was kind of the inspiration there it's also the inspiration behind um the slogan of the record label we may not be for you and that's fine mill's catchphrase and slogan is famously no one likes us we don't care so so we may not be for you and that's fine is a polite version of this but also it was pointed out years later that i reckon i subliminally was also influenced by pos who's on this track because he's got a line that is similar to that we are not for them and that's cool um which is similar to we may not be for you and that's fine um it's almost identical but it's also almost identical to, to no one likes this oh we don't care so getting sage francis and pos on this track meant the world to me sage he's a dear friend and i love him but he's also one of my biggest influences in the world i probably wouldn't be doing i've, I've said it a million times i probably wouldn't have had my career if it wasn't for sage if it wasn't for hearing the sage francis sick of albums if it wasn't for going and watching him playing standing on a chair with a microphone and a backing track at plastic people in east london going and watching him at the the button factory or the knitting factory i can't remember which which one in new york uh, when i was out there he influenced it all and then to make him a friend and a peer was amazing but then to get him on one of my tracks that was absolute madness, and that meant the world to me. I was m- marking out so badly when his his lyrics came through. And P.O.S. as well. P.O.S. was someone who came to one of our shows on our first tour of America when we played in Minneapolis, which is where he's, it's P.O.S.'s ends. Um, he, knew, he knew Dolan. And so he came along and watched our show. B. Dolan was supporting us, and I'd not really heard anything any pos i was like all right who's this guy he seems cool um but i got i think it was then i got he may have given me his album never better and it kills me to this day because that gig in minneapolis was the worst gig of our whole tour we had all sorts of sound problems it was kind of cool in a punk rock way because we had all sorts of sound problems so i did a load of the gig just acapella in the crowd and all sorts of things like that but it wasn't a good illustration of what we were about um and at that point i didn't care that much because gigs go good gigs go bad it's cool that you make them work but if i'd known that someone who had written what would go on to be one of my top five rap albums of all time was there i would have been annoyed that i didn't get to do the hard fucking rap show that i wanted it ended up being a bit of a spoken word show a bit of all sorts of things but yeah he came along and i never better became one of my favourite albums of all time. There's so many songs in that. Purex is one of the most beautiful songs of all time. Um, it's hard as fuck, but it's beautiful and de- delicate at the same time. So getting both of those guys on this track m- meant the world. And it took a while because everyone's artists and there's a lot of 
a back and forth. Sage is very particular about how his vocals are. So a lot of this record has said we'd get parts and stuff from different people, but then it'd all be mixed down and made to sound like an album by Yilla because I needed that overall voice. So it didn't just sound like a compilation. I wanted it to to sound like a record. But Sage was like, he, he mixed down his own vocal. He had overlays of his vocal and all that. He had a very specific sound he wanted. Thankfully, it sounded the bollocks, but that was weird. Whereas POS was kind of like, here's the vocal, kind of do your thing. But they came in late. So I think a POS, again, almost wasn't on the record because it, it came in so late. But the mad part, this, as I said, my my vocals on this are all about Millwall. Millwall are the lions. Their 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 mascot is a lion. Their badge has got a picture of a lion on. Um, the, their ground is called the, uh, the Lions Den. Um, but I don't mention Millwall or mention lions. And I hadn't told Sage and POS that it's about Millwall. I'd just gone. Here's my verse. Here's the hook. Both Sage and POS's vocals reference lions, which is mad. It's such a weird thing that this song just just came together, um, and you'd think that we all knew and we're all in the loop on it, but no, that's 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 kind of yeah, that's a, a weird and interesting part of it. And as I said, it became a favourite to play live. I've never performed it with both the guys. I performed it with Sage. I think have I performed it with Sage? Yeah, I'm sure at one of his shows or a couple of his his shows, uh, we performed it. Um, because he toured and I did his merch for him because he's at that point he had a record out on my label even more mind-blowing this is like the guy that influenced me the most is now part of my label as well and I'm part of his label because they released all of our stuff in America Strange Famous so yeah that was kind of the story of that track it was the most important one because it was the first track that I kind of started working on and that I wanted I knew it wouldn't work for me and Dan, because this was too specific. And Dan, Dan makes the beats he makes, and I respect that. It wouldn't. I'd never felt. I'd, I'd give him some. I'd like a track that's in this direction or that direction, but I'd never go to him. I felt that our relationship was Dan is the producer, I'm the vocalist. Whereas on this record, I wanted to have more influence. Again, I didn't pr- produce any of these, but I had a big hand in it. I was there for a lot of it. I was, I was, I was giving my thoughts and ideas. I said, this was all Wolgie and Yilla are working together on this stuff. Yeah, it's a track that means a hell of a lot. I reckon this might be a two-parter, you know, because this is, we're half an hour in, basically we've done two tracks. But they're the two that have got the biggest stories, I think, so maybe not. Uh, uh, Let's move on to Domestic Silence. It's a long intro, in it, but... Let me introduce a recluse who was naked and loose that loosely slipped out. He didn't have a clue what to do with his new lease life, was at least never took out. See, never really had a grip on life, never had a family, no kids, no wife, no girlfriends, no social life. His life was a concise silent life. And the factory packed himself to himself, his distance, distance from everyone else. Didn't interact with the pack, never had none. Didn't put need to impede on the sanctum. They didn't impede on his... There we go. Um... This is a track that started with a title. 
<laughs> it's as simple as that. I had the idea of domestic silence, and I thought, right, so, so what's that song about? I've written about domestic violence before, and domestic silence, it just... I always, I've always ended up writing something about m- mental health on every track, about suicide, about just dark, dark subjects is what I'm drawn to. I guess I've explained it before that when we're in our happy times, then we do all we can to remain in them um, and to 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 bowl about and be happy and look around. But when we're in our dark times, we're focused purely on getting out of those times and we don't necessarily look around them. So lyrically, they're the areas I like to explore because I think all of our range of emotions are really important to our lives and to our characters. I don't think it's just about being happy. I think it's about everything. So yeah, that was kind of the, the idea there. And the thought of this was, I've talked about, suicide before because suicide is something that's touched my life um hugely in my in my early in my formative years i guess and this was a story of someone whose suicide attempt went wrong i guess um so an opportunity was presented to save someone that maybe wasn't meant to be saved if that makes sense their plan was to kill themselves but it didn't happen. And I liked that, the idea of that that second chance, not for the individual, but for society to reach that individual, to see that something's wrong, to get through to them, to save them. Um, so not for the individual, as said, it's not a kind of a redemption or second chance for them. It's it's for those who should maybe have, have, have noticed. Oh, I'll just start with the next track. No, 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 stop. Yeah, that was kind of the idea. And it was about the thing that we, again, at this point in in 2011, mental health wasn't talked about half as much as it is. And there's so many campaigns now that kind of say, just check in on your mates, ask how you are. And the big big twist on this, the big saving of this, I wanted it to be a tiny thing, a human thing. And it's just someone saying, hi, how are you today to, to this guy? And I wanted that to be intentionally small. I think I could have written this story as a this big moment, his ex comes back to him or whatever else, or or, or he gets a promotion or, or whatever it might be, some big thing, but it doesn't have to be that. It, I, it, it was important to me that it was just someone going, you all right, mate? And him going, oh, uh, 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 and having the, that as the thing that saves him and that, that breakthrough because the the idea as well was the suffocating sound of silence the overwhelmingness of silence you know if you're thankfully it's something i don't struggle with too much i'm quite a an insular person i'm more than happy to not have conversations for days or weeks on end but but a lot of people aren't and i think a lot of people are going to be struggling with that in these lockdown times because they're not used to it and it can become really over overwhelming i've i've had it before in that it's not got to me because again i'm quite quite comfortable with it but i've noticed it like i'll i'll meet up with someone and i will struggle so bad to to hold a conversation or or make any sense and it's because i've un, unwittingly 
had all this time with no no conversation. I remember I'm out with Rich Wilson at the Edinburgh Fringe to go and see his missus, Jade Adams. And he was where his mate, Marcus Birdman. And I told him a week or two later that I felt like the biggest idiot after that night because I felt my conversation and my, my banter or whatever you want to call it was so weak. And it was because in the week leading up to the Fringe, I'd been really busy working at home and then I'd driven all the way to the fringe on my own I'd had a day of handing out pod bible magazines on my own I'd been staying in a hotel on my own so I'd had all these days of no actual genuine interaction with anyone at all and then all of a sudden I'm hanging out with two guys who I'm a fan of their comedy I respect them as artists and people and I was just like there. I told some stories that were just trash stories. They were just r- rubbish. They didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Um, but yeah, that's what this song's about. It's about the unspoken elements um, of life, the stuff that that we don't discuss and just how simple it can be to break that and to save someone, to break th- through to someone with, as it says, s- s- six simple words seven simple syllables hi there how are you today it doesn't always take grand gestures and miracles um when in hell a hiding place can seem graced and free from pain but umbrellas keep out sunshine as well as rain um yeah that's that's the idea of that is you can think Particularly when you're in this in the situation, you can think, "Oh, I don't want to talk to anyone." And if you're feeling f- fragile or delicate, you can hide yourself away. But as said, you're hiding yourself away from all the negatives, but you're also hiding yourself away from any options of positives. So yeah, that's the weird circle that you can can get into there. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. This is called "Try Dying." Thing on my list of things to do is try dying. If you wanna live forever, then you can be right trying. Inevitable like the weather, there's no use in lying. Death makes life worth living, so stop crying. Are you listening? Are your ears open for christening? Cause I'm pissing the very same world you've been wishing until it's glistening. Ain't a nice image, but it's a clear one. Listen here, son, this ain't dismissive. This is fearsome. Fearsome, fearsome, I fear some things, but I don't fear death or other natural rumblings. Paranoia, rapture, illusion, factual rumblings. The edges never will have a go for your days with fun things. There we go. That, again, another one that's seemingly morbid. <laughs> that's kind of what I do. But, yeah, that was about... What was that about? <laughs> I'm going over the lyrics now. Um, yeah, about not being scared of death, but death being the thing that motivates you to live. Um, this is all going to come to an end and that should be kind of a bit of a, k- a kick up the arse, right? Uh, this was produced by Richard Russell of XL Records. He also produced the last Gil Scott Heron album before Gil passed, which is amazing. And yeah, he's got a whole history of production with Nick Hawks and all sorts of other stuff. But um I'd got to know Richard when me and Dan Lissac almost signed for XL. And XL were, were, were one of the ones that were on the table. They 
had a lot of people that we were doing a lot of gigs with and were f- friends with at the time, like Adele and, and Jack Pagnate. They were our homies at the time. They'd obviously put out Dizzy Rascal. They'd put out The Prodigy. So they were a cool as fuck and credible uh, a label. And Richard was up for making a beat. I hit him up because I think he was on a bit of a break from production. And yeah, he made this beat. And, and, and interesting fact that a lot of people don't know, I don't think I've talked about much, Getz was almost on this track originally. We we I went into Richard's, or to the studio at XL, and I believe that's where I recorded my vocals. Um, but it's also where we got Getz in to record some vocals and Gets, I've got to have on the podcast at some point. I love that dude. He's, I'm a big fan of his music. At that point, I hadn't, I hadn't particularly heard of him, but, but Richard was like, this guy is just a tour de force. He's just amazing. He's this storm of of lyrics. And he came in and, and, and he kind of hadn't pre-written much. He was just like, I'll just jump in the booth and we'll figure it out. He'd listened to the track um, and he jumped in and went for it. Well, what was one of the lines? I remember one of the lines being, who's that down by the graveyard? It's that boy gets with the, with something and a ski mask. Um, Cause he, he really enjoyed the, the, the try dying element. And who's that, who's that waiting down by the graveyard, all that bit. Um, and he smashed it, but annoyingly it was towards the end of the record production. So it was when we're getting close to the end and the verse he came and did, didn't actually fit. The track, if that makes a sense, bars-wise, it was short. And again, we only kind of grabbed him for a day and he came and did some stuff and it just didn't fit. And I wish we'd taken more time. I wish we'd had longer to make it fit or to make it work. But as it didn't fit, it was kind of like, well, we'll, we kind of just leave that verse out and jump straight to the refrain bit that's at the end. And that's what... that's what we went with as said. It's a massive shame because I rate him and I've I've met up with Getz only once or twice since then. But um, I will I will get him on the podcast at some point because I rate him and I like his outlook and approach. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the story of that. I've always got a vibe that Richard Russell ain't the biggest fan of this song. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I could be I could be off. But I'm not sure if it was it ended up the way he wanted it or again we were rushed at the end there. So I think there was a little bit of he was like, Yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong there. But that was always a bit of the vibe I got on this track. Um <laughs> But yeah, I loved it and I always loved performing it live. It always I went off live, it was really good with the live dr- dr- drums just made it pop and bang all the harder. Um, let's move on. Where are we? We're at 40 minutes or so. We've done the first four. How many left? One, two, three, four, five. I reckon we can probably get this in in the uh, in the time. Let's go. Let's move on to Death of the Journalist. Shh. Hang on. I'll go again. I'll go again. Hang on. Oh, no, no. 
Hang on, hang on, look, 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 look. Hang on, it's going to kick in now. Don't, don't. Right, I'm going to, I'm going to fade it out because I want to do a few things with, with this one. This was produced by Zane Lowe. A lot of people don't know that Zane's a producer. Um, if you listen to episode two, I think it was of the Traction Pieces podcast, we talk about this and we talk about how it kickstarted, like re-kickstarted his career as a, as a producer. And he's produced some big tracks now, but at this point he was kind of off from producing. He says, again, he says as well, I was a bit of a nightmare to work with because I'd be like, yeah, I'm not feeling that bit. Let's change that bit. But I had specific ideas, but uh, I'll talk more about Zane. Remind me to talk more about Zane in a minute. Um, but I want to... This is another song that I'm... I, I, I mentioned on the Twitter album playback, the listening party thing, that um, I've not written... People ask me to come back to uh, to music a lot. I've stopped making music. I've no interest to write anymore. But people say, oh, can you write something about the current p- political state? And I always say, listen to Stiff Up a Lip or Stake a Claim or Great Britain. They still feel re- relevant to me. It, it doesn't feel as if anything's changed. And this is another song that feels like it's got more and more relevant as the years have gone by and the media has become more shameful. Um, so I'm just going to read out the lyrics to you. And this was 2011, so we're talking nine years ago. People used to burn pages to show their in their in and outrages. These days, the these days the gauge for rage is who gets flamed on comments pages. No claim is too outrageous for these constant news updaters. Lines refined to save time, less complicated to sedate us. We ingest five lines or less stories through our subconsciousness. As time goes by, the internet will kill the printed press. Where's the scroll bar on these ink-drenched pages? I ain't turning this. Don't believe the hype machine, death of the journalist. Good Friday, April 18th, 1930. BBC Radio News showed a rare maturity. The news reporter said something that these days they wouldn't say. Good evening. There is no news today. That's a true story. They That was the one time that they just said, there's no news today. Here's some music. And they played some music instead. They didn't feel the need to fill with leads on non-news stories all picked apart and ripped painting fake failures or glories, making molehills into mountains being exaggeratory, financial backers in their ears feeding different allegories. So let's beguile this sickly horse-whispered media, less reliable sources than Wikipedia. Journalism is dead, rest in pieces of trivia. The blogger is king, the gossip column is leading you. As the bloggers become the journalists, the art form dies – They don't have sources anymore, they just have Google finds, referencing other websites as if they're well-sourced scriptures, focused on getting their hits up, not winning Pulitzers. Their journalism is lazy in the need to be first. I do more research than some of them when penning a verse. And you know how we are, we just believe it's the truth. We just accept it as news instead of asking for proof. 
But in a way, the internet makes journalism redundant. Freedom of information, despite the attempts of some governments. Man tweets while WikiLeaks spilling the truths of the troublesome, but the truths become perspective as soon as man discovers them. And it ain't just the news reporters, it's the musos too. If you've got a music blog, then son, I'm probably talking to you. That's that's referencing a Saul Williams line from Black Stacy. Amazing track. Don't skim through intros. L- listen to each track through. And maybe run a spell check before you post a review. They drop a million band names to get their Google hits. Remember you heard it here first and it was in bold italics. Throw enough shit at the wall and some of it will stick, but make no mistake, your wall's still covered in shit. There's obtrusive new remits on the promotion slog. We need exclusive new remixes to service the blogs, and half these online networks are flattery-operated. Hand-feed them and let them think it was internally propagated. Your lines are recycled. You have no identity. Your words ain't gifted when they're lifted from my fucking press release. That was, again, true stories of... We'd have so many album write-ups and reviews that literally just lifted lines or paragraphs from the press release we sent out with the album... Your opinion's next to no- your opinion is next to nothing, and that's all you'll amount to. You're so vain, you probably don't know this song is about you. The problem is, I've got a new album to sell, and I've probably burnt some bridges in this web wide world. Can I rebuild them? It's too far a distance to tell, and I ain't Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Um, there we go. That's that just feels crazy relevant to me at the moment with the 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 continuing demise of journalism, the continuing need to simply chase clicks and headlines and clickbait. Um, yeah, it feels like that someone could write that song word for word now and people would go, man, he's he's caught the times well. He's captured the moment uh, wonderfully. Uh, yeah, interesting one, that. Interesting one. Um Back to Zane Lowe, as I mentioned, I had a really cool moment of this that we were playing this at Bestival and Zane was there and he said, oh, I'm going to pop along. And he got in the tent to hear us play Death of the Journalist, a song that, that he had produced. And at that point, he'd not heard anything he'd produced, you know, at a festival on a big stage. And this was a tent that was rammed with people and they were going nuts. And it meant the world to know he was there and it meant the world later on to know that it meant the world to him. It's these cool things that people can dehumanise any celebrity and forget that they're all just people who are just excited to be in the world that they're in and doing the things that they're they're doing. I'm going to try and make this a one-parter rather than a two-parter, so I'm going to smash on um, to Soldier Boy Killem. Right, I'm pausing that. And the reason is, I'm going to tell you a few things about it. Um, number one, it gave me 
uh, one of my favorite podcast moments because I don't can't remember if it was on record or off record, but when I the first time I had um, Michaela Cole on, who I'm a big fan of, uh, she's an amazing writer, an actor, um, and just artist. I think she's great, um, and I can't remember if it was on or off off record, but she was like, "A Soldier Boy" was my track. Like this version, obviously, it's a cover, it's a rewrite of "Soldier Boy Now Kill Him." Hey, and that song, yes, I am. A, and but it's, it's a rewrite of that. And it's making it about a military system and the, the faults are within it. The production is by a guy called Orpheus. It's intentionally gravelly and dirty. I was thinking as we were playing then, this might not be the best illustration of the quality of sound of the Sonos move. Um, but that's how, the, that's how the record sounds. It's intentional. Um, and Orpheus, interestingly... When I started off in, in in music, I've told this many times. I just I lived in a van f- for a, or a 1987 Toyota Space Cruiser, a, a gold one with a moonroof as well as a sunroof. The moonroof was the bigger one in the in the back. Um, and I just heard about playing outside other people's gigs. It was my thing. Um, it's been popularized a bit now, but it was like I was known for it a bit at the time. I've had loads of hype for it over the years because I figured if I go to any town. If I play in a town centre, there's tons of people, but not necessarily tons of people who want to hear me. But if I go to... I did an Atmosphere gig, for example. Atmosphere at Coco. Um, or the Camden Palais, as it was then, I believe. Um, I turn up there, and they're going to line up my target audience, and I can just turn up, do my thing, and leave. But the first one we did... So so, so Chris Glasson of Hardcore Listing came with me for a big chunk of this. Um, the first one we did was outside an album playback party of a DJ Sh- Shadow album. But the first gig that we went to was Buck 65 at the Camden Barfly. And in that queue was Buddy Peace, who now produces this podcast and is one of my d- dearest friends and someone I'm a huge fan of as an artist and as a human. And Orpheus. And Orpheus gave us a CD or a tape of one of his his beat his beat tapes he made these kind of atmospheric beat tapes and it became our soundtrack for the whole of the the driving around the country in this van um and then all these years later uh, this beat for soldier boy was made by orpheus so it's kind of this beautiful full circle thing that the first gig that we went and did our thing outside is you know it's so it's fluke and luck that these people are there at the right time and the right place and all that so and that that moment built tons of things it built this song it built the relationship i have with buddy and all sorts but also this song has b dolan on and b dolan again another one of my favorite people in the world that i've ever met i love b dolan with a passion um and buddy pieces produce a load of b stuff but this was this track was a test of my uh, re- resolve and who I am as a person. Because B sent his vocal and it blew mine out of the water, and I couldn't have been happier. And I was really glad because there's a, there's a chance I could have heard that and gone fuck. I don't want to put this on there because it's better than my verse. Um, but I was just so happy. I was like, oh my god, he smashed it. Um, so I'm going to play you B's verse. I'll try and find it. But it's so much better than my verse. 
Uh, and we'd, we'd do it, it live on tour. We did it hundreds of times live, and every time his was better. And I'd be bouncing around and doing the, the hype man backing vocals because um, I was just so hyped to have someone smash my own track, <laughs> smash, blow me out of the water on my own song. Hopefully it'll pick up. If not, if Buddy wants to drop in the actual beat. But go, hang on, hang on, go. Show me the enemy, the enemy. Earth. Mean. Watch the queen. Be on the scene. Intervene. Order a thing. I got it wrong. Order a things. Yeah. Boy turn men. Them. Defend. Burn. Yes, sir. Can't find you a job, but we can get you in a uniform. Man. He kills it. And yeah, that was that was a highlight of all of the tours. Because again, I'm... I'm just a fan, man. I'm a fan of these people that I've been... Oh, sorry. I'm a fan of these people that I've been crazy uh, lucky enough to work with. So, yeah, I've never been a fan of listening to to my own music. So having people guest on tracks is a a buzz for me because I'm a fan of listening to them. It's why Let Them Come and Soldier Boy are two two of my favourite of my own songs because there's other people on them. And there are other people that I'm a huge fan of. And I've listened to every track that B. Dolan has ever made. I've listened to every track that Sage has ever made. I think I've listened to every track that POS has ever made. So, of course, I'm excited to hear another track from them. It just happens to be a track that I'm on as well. And I got to to put together. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, this next track is one that... It's, it's another one that means a lot to me um, because... I've had a few times in my career that I've come up with an idea and I've thought it's either fucking great or it's the stupidest shit in the world. Um, and each time that's happened, the public have kind of backed me and let me know it wasn't the stupidest thing in the world. So this one's called The Struggle. You know, I'm enjoying doing this playback, you know. This is a laugh. Um, this was, yeah, this was great. Steve Mason, I'm, I met Steve Mason of Beta Band on a, a six music round table and I really liked him. He was proper. He wasn't a music industry knobhead. He was proper. He was a good lad. And we talked about working on a track. So we emailed back and forth for a while and I was saying I want it to be kind of I said country, and then he, we kind of got through to it. It's really it's blues. It's blues. It's blues, and it's 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 not country. It's there's another term I can't think. I don't know. It is what it is. But I told him about it, and I told him 
the idea. I, I've always liked having twists in songs, in narratives. Um, I did it on Angles. Angles was the first one that got that kind of attention for me doing that because it's always surprised me that it's not done much in lyrics. In films, you love a good twist. And so, so many songs are stories, yet they go for a, a linear narrative. So I love a twist in there. And and the twist in this was that I've written a song about Johnny Depp being a serial killer f- from his perspective, um, <laughs> which is fucking weird. And me and I drove up to St- Steve Mason's place quite far north into, into Scotland, like north of Scotland, so past Edinburgh, past all that. It took me like... F- 13 or 14 hours to get there and I got there and we went and got a fish and chips and we were going to start on the track the the next day but we got talking about it so we started on it that night and we were up until god knows when and then we woke up and we had some breakfast and we had a walk about and then I think I went and I think I'd already written the vocal and we hadn't uh, written the track and he came up with the fear, the scream, the struggle, the shock, the fear, the scream, the st- which is just bits I say in the in the track. And yeah, we literally, I think I drove home the next day in the end. I don't think I was even there for two days. I think we just had this mad nighttime session where we were feeling like lunatics. It might have been another day and then I drove home the morning after. Maybe that's the case. But, but, but yeah, we just had this weird few hours or number of hours of being in kind of a weird hallucinogenic state it felt like where we're writing this bonkers track that's about Johnny Depp being a serial killer it's, it's not really about that it's about it's about the cult of celebrity and the idea of you know an easy example now is, is Justin Bieber there was a while back and Miley Cyrus there was a while back where both of them were people like oh they're fucking idiots they're such a bell end and it's like well why are you judging them by the standards of the rest of us? And that's not to say they're above us in any way, but they've lived under completely different circumstances. You know, Bieber, from a a young age, has just had adoration and worldwide fame and wealth and been able to do anything he wants. It's completely understandable that uh, even if it's just for a period, he's either going to be a bellend or he's not going to grow up and be the the way the rest of us are. And that's really what this song's about. A lot of people always ask, why Johnny Depp? Normally my answer online is because I know for a fact he's a serial killer. He's not. It's been it, Obviously it was dark a few years back when he was being accused of a lot of d- horrible domestic violence stuff. That's all since been flipped round and it looks like he was the victim of domestic violence. I don't know if it's instead of or as well, but it's confusing stuff. Um that I don't have any inside scoop on or anything to share about, so I won't talk about it. But but I picked Johnny Depp after a lot of thought because I thought it was believable. I wanted it to be someone who is big enough that they're... Again, it's taking things to extremes, as I always do. The thought that, why would you expect this person not to be a womanizer or a party animal or whatever when the boundaries are different? And the idea was let's push that to the next level, that the boundaries are different in that their boundaries. To push the boundaries for them, they have to kill. Obviously, I take things to her extremes all the time. That's how I find it enjoyable artistically. Take a simple, realistic idea and push it to extreme. I did it with You Will See Me, a breakup song that ends up being 
a genocidal maniac song. So that was the idea there was I wanted it to be about someone who you wouldn't suspect. And the original person I thought of doing it as was Steve Buscemi. But I think it's too obvious for someone like Steve Steve Buscemi. I also thought about, um, what's his name? In the Lighthouse. Um, he was the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name, but him. Um, amazing actor. But they both felt too obvious to be dark and to have a dark secret. Um, I toyed with George Clooney for a bit because he's got that level of fame. And again, that that kind of you just you would you wouldn't suspect them of murder. <laughs> and Johnny Depp just fell perfectly because he's had that heartthrob fame and been the young kind of good-looking lad. But then he's had these films where he's shown immense talent, but he's still huge b- 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 beyond compare and imagine uh, um, uh, imagination. He's had it for long enough for it to have walked his grasp on reality. And yeah, he seemed like a perfect fit. Uh, the video f- f- for the struggle, we shot at One Tree Hill near me, some woods near me, that I'd got permission to shoot a video. I hadn't told him that we were going to have sticks of fire and blood everywhere and Johnny Depp masks, all sorts of weirdness. But yeah, we had, had one night to shoot that and we got it done. And that's the struggle, I guess. Is is there anything else I need to, to, to tell you about that one? It's a good one because it tends to get a lot of love on Halloween because <laughs> it's this dark, weird song. Right, we're only we're, we're only just over the hour mark, so we can get this this finished. There's two more songs. Let's go into Broken Promise. Is there anything else to tell you about the, the struggle, Steve? Oh, that was it. I didn't finish the story. So we had these weird hours. 24 or 48 hours of just being in a studio sleep deprived at weird times a day and we made this track and we finished at least a version of it a demo of it that was then because again i'm I'm like that with producers i don't like to be on their shoulder i want to get either come in when either do it all over email as we did a bit of email back and forth on this and then get together and then go away and leave them to to it because I don't know enough about it. So did that. We burnt a version onto CD. I start my like 13 hour drive back and I'm listening over and over again in the car. And then I get a phone call from Steve and I answer on my hands free. And I'm like, are you concerned? And he's like, yeah, I am a bit. He's like, is this, is this great? Or is it absolute nonsense? Have we just had a a sleep deprived creativity thing where we think we've made this amazing work of art and actually we've written a weird stomping blues folk type song about Johnny Depp being a serial killer and I I, I literally I said to him I was like I've been thinking the exact same now I'm out in the daylight and I'm on my own and I'm driving I'm like what is this I think it's really good but what is it and then, yeah, I backed him up because I'd gone through that and come out, out the other side. I'd, I'd listened enough times to go, no, this bangs. The, 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 the synth underneath is amazing. He's an amazing songwriter and musician. So, yeah, that was the story of that. We had this m- mad period. It feels like The Lighthouse, speaking of The Lighthouse, because we just had – we were in this r- r- remote part of Scotland. We didn't see anyone else. We just went crazy for a while 
and this thing popped out the other end and it's this song um and that's the story of that and we just it, i convinced him it was good and it's probably this second or third most popular song on the album i think it's after introduction is the most watched video so yeah it turns out it was all right This is to anyone out there that's listening. From everyone that ever been down and went missing. Lovers, parents, best friends and siblings, sometimes life conspires to make liars of good men. This is to anyone out there. So, a, a Broken Promise is another one that, that means the world to me. I've had this on so many records. On, on Repent, of Replenish, a Repeat, This Happened and on angles it happened just as we were close to going right we've finished the record it's all mixed down we've got the tracks i had this idea and i hit woolgie up and said i want this song that's like i told him the kind of pace i can't remember i must have given him an example i might have given him an example of maps by yeah yeah yes of that that brooding kind of slow but beautiful and delicate again and what happened was i think i confused this and 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 you will see me completely honestly because i was writing them in the same flat i'm sure with this one he sent it to me and i wrote the first verse in one sitting but my mum was coming round in half an hour to go out out for lunch with me and i wrote the whole of the first verse in one go just bang here it is and then I went out out to lunch and I was distracted because I was thinking of the second verse. And I came home and wrote the whole of the second verse. And then I sent it back t- t- to Warren. And the beat needed some t- t- tweaking and changing and the swells and grows. But that was it. This was in one sitting. And the same happened with You Will See Me and the same happened with uh, Waiting for the Beat to Kick In. Waiting for the Beat to Kick In was maybe a couple of sessions, but they were both tracks. All three were tracks, essentially, that were kind of more or less one set, one sitting or from conception to completion within 24 or 48 hours lyrically and that's how this came about and Wolgie a Warren Borg smashed it with this just the beautiful delicateness of the piano it was a beautiful one to, to, to play live it was a tough one to play live because he's got overlapping guitars in it and it kind of played bits of them at the same time it's all this yeah yeah it's a really good one and it was hard to find its place on the record because we'd already recorded the closer which is the next one but this felt like a closer but the closer that we've got is a cover so this kind of feels like the closer of the album and the last track is a beautiful beautiful bonus of a fever dream of a moment um so let's get on to the last track. This was produced pretty much exclusively by Yilla from memory rather than Wargie. They, they worked together on most things, but this one was more, I think it was more Yilla. After the party, I took her back to, to my parlour. 
play that for ages because i'm just the biggest fan of natasha fox the vocalist on that so this is a cover of a kate bush song i'm also the biggest fan of kate bush low-key i ripped off feel it on my first solo record there's a song called reprise and we didn't sample anything but it's strikingly similar to feel it just with vocals over the top um, and not not the Kate Bush vocal or the lyrics, completely different song. But yeah, that's kind of the vibe. So I wanted to do a cover. On, I, I, I dreamt of covering this song and, and reframing it as a as two people reflecting upon the same night at once. So the guy is kind of talking over his thoughts of the night as it happens and in reflection and the woman is reflecting and there's slight differences. He's nervous that he's got things wrong and she's more into it than he maybe realized. Um, and that's how I wanted to, to, to reframe this. So we started working on it. Um, and the plan was for Natasha Fox, Debbie, who was at the time, the partner of, of Yilla and a great singer and Rosa from Peggy Sue and the Pirates, who I've always been a huge fan of. They were all going to do vocals, and it was going to be this mesh of vocals. But the first one to record was Natasha. And Yilla was like, before I record anyone else, I need you to hear this. And I heard it, and I was stopped in my tracks, because I just think her vocals... I'm the biggest fan of Natasha Fox, um, and her vocals are just amazing on this. And we kind of had to say, look, we need to let the others down because we don't we don't need them anymore it has to just be this it has to be this this one-on-one conversation and yeah I'm so proud of it I love it I we got it cleared by Kate Bush which was mad the guys at um Martin at Cooking Vinyl who did the distribution for this his friend was Kate's manager and he reached out and kind of look here it is it's this cover blah 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 is it cool we're not going to release it as a single. We'll give you as much of the rights as you want. I don't care about the money. And we got it cleared and it's there. And it was, it was probably my favorite. It's yeah, it's probably my favorite to perform when we toured this record. It's probably one of the reasons touring this record went on for so long. Cause getting to tour with Tash was just amazing. An absolute highlight. I adored, like, she wasn't on all of the tours. So, because she still had her full-time job and she'd take periods off and join us for a few days here and there. And, honestly, highlights of my touring career. I think it's because I've done tons of gigs with other rappers. And that's one thing. Do you know what I mean? It's one thing you've got your guys, bang, bang, bang. But for to to hear her vocals live every night, and I'd proper have to lose myself in this song. I'd proper be eyes closed, proper... Honestly, it's it, 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 it was one of the songs that was training for my new kind of career in acting because I'd have to get proper into the character because otherwise I would f- fanboy out and just enjoy 
the vocals I'm watching because their live performances are amazing. Um, and yeah, I'd just proper close my eyes and be in this character and be nervous and awkward and heart racing, even though it's a slow song and I'm basically standing still for all of it. Um, and again, I'd, uh, it's a weird thing with Dan Lassac. There's certain bits in the song because Dan's another one similar to Natasha Fox that I'm just a big fan of. And I loved it with me and Dan is the bits where he'd go nuts would generally be the bits I wasn't rapping on. So rather than be at the front and be the front man jumping up and down, I'd normally go and sit sit at the back. So not only the crowd could all turn their focus to Dan, but so I could turn my focus to Dan. Um, But it wouldn't work on this song because our vocals overlapped. If this was a I go, you go thing, do my thing and then I'll step back and I'd sl- slide just enjoy the performance and watch and just be there as a fan as I did with Dan Lesac numerous times but our, our vocals had to be together and the performance had to be together so yeah I'd just be holding it in as like just trying to it's the most I'd had to act it was similar on Terminal on the um, on the tour with Dan Lesac on the last tours with Dan Lesac on on the trip on the album a repent replenish repeat it was another one where i just really had to get lost in the character because if you're doing a gig and you're all hype up a delicate song can be ruined by you being too hyped for it and not having that softness and intimacy and i needed to find that in this track every time and i think we'd normally do this towards the at the end yeah, no, on, on, on the main tour we did, we'd do this at the end and then we'd do a cover of Get Off by Prince because Tash is an even bigger Prince fan th- than I am and we'd get Dolan back on and he'd rap one of Prince's verses. I'd do a bit, Tash would do a bit. It'd be a party ending. But yeah, that was the kind of the tough thing there. It was It was a pure highlight for me, I guess because it was so different from everything else that we were doing let them come introduction we'd start every gig with and that'd just get the crowd let them come and get me just hype as anything but this was the song that i had to put in the most as a performer and pull it off as a performer number one to stay focused and not just be a natasha fox fanboy um and number two to bring my performance down even though my heart was still racing from the rest of the gig and from just the the excitement and intimacy of the song um, and the characters in the song. Again, all my songs are always kind of fictional characters I try and find. Um, and yeah, and that was cool. And again, it also, it's also, <laughs> it's going to sound kind of sexist and obvious, but it's nice having a girl on tour, man, because lads change their tone. And I'm not a party guy on tour. I'm not a lad. But when there's a girl in the tour van, lads holding their farts a bit more and and holding their 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 more outrageous comments a bit more and all those elements i'm kind of more of the girl of the group anyway i'm not the kind of fucking hell just see her oh kind of thing and all that stuff would be held in if we had on the dates that we had tash on the road so uh yeah it it mixed things up nicely and made it a more (laughs) enjoyable touring experience major highlights in my touring career um of this whole record to get to tour with people like warren who was just my pal from back in the day and was in a band i was a fan of i'd watch his gigs so that was all that kind of thing was cool and tash i hadn't i'd watched her gigs as well i didn't know her for years i was a fan of of 
both of her previous bands or the previous bands I'd seen, um, I DJ'd at a gig that her band was headlining once and just been a big fan of them, but didn't know her. She wasn't in my circle of friends. So yeah, cool to do that. And then the other guy on the tours was Paul, who was the drummer, Paul Glover. And he was someone I'd never met in my life. We literally auditioned for him and he was just amazing. He knocked everyone, he blew everyone out of the park. He's actually got a podcast. Um, I need to try and find the name of it because he had Wargie on. He had Warren Borg on. Um, I'm going to search Paul Glover, Warren Borg. No, Paul Glover, Wargie. Let's try Wargie. I want to, because they did a podcast that was just talking about... um, this tour and this album ah fuck i can't find it um (laughs) this is a good ending isn't it i'm gonna find it because it was a good if if you've enjoyed this it's a good listen to learn more fucking hell hang on let me go through the, the shows i listen to enjoying this this is the big ending um so yeah it was just Everyone on that tour was great fun to work with. It was a mixture of people I'd been mates with for years or I've been a fan of for years or I'd only just met and was just blown away by their professionalism and their ability. So it was cool to... uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. It was cool to get to do that and to tour a record that was on my own label and that although I worked with all these amazing people, this record came from inside my head. You know, it all started with my ideas. The, the podcast is called Thames Times. Thames Times and episode three was with Warren Borg. If you want to check that out, there's some stories of touring on that as well. So that's kind of it. You can go and listen to Distraction Pieces, the album. You can get it on iTunes, Spotify, all these places. The vinyl, I reissued the vinyl, the the glow-in-the-dark vinyl. That's available at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. In fact, I should have mentioned that earlier, so I'm going to say this now. In fact, let's do an, let's do the close and then we'll we'll bring in the ending music and then we'll do an outro. All right, ending music. Body peace, go. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. Right, so that was Scroobius Pip talking about Scroobius Pip. What an arrogant fucking prick. Um, No, thank you all for tuning in. I'm also going to get a bit now and get Buddy to cut it out and put it at the beginning so I can have this in the intro. Um, I'm going to do it now. I I had to listen to this album for the first time in a long time when I had to have it remastered for the the reissue of the vinyl the glow in the dark vinyl that's available at speechdevelopmentrecords.com so that was the first time i'd listened in ages and i don't generally enjoy listening to my own music i have great discomfort but as you'll hear the collaborations is what gave me my kind of good moments of excitement so um yeah there we go you, you, you're gonna have already heard that in the intro <laughs> i'm cunning um yeah thank you for tuning in guys as I said you can get the the vinyl if you want it or just just listen to it on your favorite streaming platform i'll be back next week i don't know with what these are strange times for podcasts um i had three different guests lined up for this week's slot and they all fell through but i'm kind of pleased because i really enjoyed doing this so thank you for tuning in um oh and 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 i said the distraction pieces 
the distraction quiz, hashtag distraction quiz, Monday, May the 11th, I think it is, at 8.30 on my YouTube channel. It'll be a live thing. So you tune in at 8.30 and we'll all be watching the exact same thing at the exact same time and we'll all be doing the quiz and I want your scores at the end. Uh, I might give some prizes away, all sorts of stuff like that. So yeah, tune in and I will see you all next week. Anywho, ta-ta!